um, as soon as Pastor Stephen asked me if I would be willing to come and talk a couple times, I thought, yeah, right, of course, I'm, I'm on board right away. Yes, I want to do that, right? And then he gives me this assignment, and I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> Are you kidding me with this right now? Because the, the book of Jude it hurts my heart. <laughs> it, it just hurts my heart. I am an encourager. I like to encourage people. I like to tell people all the good stuff, right? And I'm an encourager to the point where I annoy my friends. And I'm not going to look over here because I know she's nodding over there. (laughs) She is, isn't she? (laughs) It's annoying to my friends sometimes how much I like to encourage. I have been called Pollyanna more times than I can count. And uh, that was a children's book, guys. It's a good one. And um, I like to look on the bright side. I had a boss one time that said, I don't want to hear you say on the bright side anymore. And then he had to explain to me that saying, well, another way to look at that, or if you look at it from a different perspective, was basically the same thing, because I didn't know. (laughs) So I don't just see the glass as half full, right? It's like half full, and then there's 50% for growth opportunity. There's potential in that other 50%, right? I love to encourage people. It's a little bit obnoxious. (laughs) And I love to share the gospel, right? I love to tell people about what Jesus has done in my life. He's changed my life in a radical way. Like, we're not talking just like this minor tweak that maybe somebody was like, oh, something's different. No, it was like, night and day difference. And I know many, many people whose Jesus has just like flipped their entire lives upside down, right? They were going in one direction and he changed and redirected everything that was happening in their lives for good, right? He's taken lives that were headed for destruction and chaos, right? All that stuff, all that uncertainty, and he's given people purpose and plan and hope. It's a great truth and I love to share that. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be prepared to share the hope that we have in Jesus. And I'm like, yes, amen. I'm all for that. So then Pastor Stephen's like, hey, how about we preach through Jude? Great. I mean, I guess I'm up for a challenge, right? So does he challenge you guys too? Like, I imagine. I saw eyes up here. You missed it everybody's eyes got big. Nobody wants to nod like Binky over there, but, <laughs> but it's true. But challenge is good, right? It's how we grow. It's how we learn and grow. And so I just want to welcome you all to my growth experience. <laughs> and I hope that we can all learn and grow together. Um, I've been listening to this series that you guys have been doing um, online, and it's been incredible. It really has. Um, I don't just say those things, okay? <laughs> so this is truth. It, it's, it's been incredible. So if you're new here or if you missed one of those, I just would really encourage you to go back and listen to them. I don't know all the official places that it's posted, but I found it on Facebook. So <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> just go out there and look. But they, they've been good. I would encourage you to listen. It's, it's worth the time investment, and it's not terribly, um, doesn't take a terribly long time. So we're going through the book of Jude, and we know that he intended to write something uplifting. So I can relate, Jude. I get it. He wanted to write something to encourage the church, but he ended up having to do something very, very different. And I'm wondering, have you ever had to do something like that? Have you ever had to do that? Like, bring someone the bad news? 
that's tough, isn't it? Right? It is for me, because like I said, I like to encourage. But Jude recognizes that some things that have been going on need to be addressed. So I don't know about you, but I appreciate the friend that's willing to give me the tough news, right? It's an uncomfortable truth sometimes, but it tells me that they value me and my growth over their temporary comfort in that situation. We say things like we want authentic relationships. We want to find a significant other who loves us for us, right? Someone that we can be real with. We want friends that we can hang out with, that we don't have to then spend hours detoxing from after, right? We all have friends that we have to do that with, but we don't want that. (laughs) We sometimes forget that that authentic relationship comes from both parties being honest, brutally honest sometimes, even when it's uncomfortable. The Bible says in Proverbs 27.6 that wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Great. That's great. (laughs) But I believe this, right? Take broccoli, for example. Everybody knows about broccoli. Let's say you've got a big piece of broccoli wedged in your front teeth. What do your sincere friends do? They tell you, right? They say, hey, girl, you got some broccoli all up in your grill. You better check that. (laughs) They don't just let you walk around like that. But an enemy, an enemy is going to sweetly smile at you. Maybe they're going to lean in, give you a hug, kiss your cheek, say, hey, let's get some coffee. See you next week. And they walk away smiling, knowing that you're going to be obnoxiously smiling at strangers and everybody that you meet. Maybe you're going to go to a meeting and you've still got that broccoli wedged in your front teeth. Nobody's telling you, right? People are avoiding making eye contact with you, but you don't know why. Everybody can see it but you. Then you get in the car at the end of the day, and you get a glance, and what do you, what do you feel? You're shocked, right? <laughs> Horror, embarrassment, right? How many people saw this? You've got to pull yourself together because you've got to go back out into the world and pretend like that never happened, right? <laughs> you don't want to have to call out people who were supposed to be your friends that should have told you. How did they let you walk around like that? A good friend will move past that uncomfortable moment to let you know, to make that just an uncomfortable moment instead of an uncomfortable hours or days or even a lifetime. But what happens when it goes beyond broccoli, right? What happens when it's one of those blind spots? We all have blind spots, things in our lives that we don't see. Everybody else can see it, but we can't, right? It's like the front tooth broccoli. You can't see it until someone points it out. What if you noticed that one of your friends were making inappropriate sexual jokes on a regular basis, right? And everybody kind of laughs and chuckles and then walks away with the eyes, right? Right? I mean, what if you, what if you know that that situation in that person's life is affecting their personal life? It's affecting their professional life. They're, they don't understand why they can't move forward, but this, you know, this is it. What if you're the one with the issue that you don't see, but everybody else does? It might be a shock at first, right? It might even hurt your feelings or your pride, but don't you want somebody to tell you? Don't you want to grow? I know I do. So that's the job that Jude has. 
He's got to bust through all this tough conversation to help people learn and grow so that they don't stay stuck. I once asked a friend about a certain situation that was causing me a lot of problems. I wanted her advice, right? I wanted to know what she had to say. So after I explained the situation, she asked me a couple of follow-up questions. And I said, so what do you think? What should I do? She took a deep breath and she looked me in the eye and she said, Sarah, I think what you're dealing with is selfishness and maybe a little bit of pride. And I was like, me? (laughs) That was not something that I loved hearing, right? But you know what? She was right. I thought she was going to, you know, be on my side and, and tell me that this other person was awful and they were taking advantage of me. And that would have been a lot easier for her to do that, right? But she didn't. She pushed through and she told me the truth. And I tell you what, it changed my life. It changed the way I looked at those situations in my life. And I'm a better person for it. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful that she was my friend and did that. My friend gave me a hard word, right? So here's Jude. And he's wanting to be a good friend, right? He wants to talk about how awesome salvation is. He wants to talk about the good things, but he has to bring a tough word like that. And he says he wants to write about good things, but couldn't. When he says that, it kind of reminds me of like that parent that says, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. It's probably true, but it doesn't make it easier, right? (laughs) But Jude saw that the church wasn't being diligent in keeping the false teachers out. No one was stopping them from leading the people in the wrong direction, right? Someone had to step in and point it out. Someone had to tell them the truth so that they could course correct. So up until this point, Jude's been talking about doom and gloom. Awesome. So so let's dig in with our verses today. We're going to start in Jude, uh, verse 14. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up, or if you find it online, um, either way, we're in Jude, and we're going to start at verse 14. It says, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands and his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So I just want to stop there for just a brief minute. The Bible has a lot of prophecy in it. It's, it's over a quarter, something like 27 or 28 percent of the Bible is prophecy. Um, and there's over 1,200 prophecies in the Old Testament alone. And it's really common for the New Testament writers to quote these prophecies, to apply them to their lives and to their own situations. And that just makes sense, right? Because the, a lot of the Old Testament prophecies are talking about Jesus. They're pointing to Jesus, saying, he's coming, he's coming. And then he gets here, and the New Testament writers are like, he's here, and here's how we know. Remember, this was said about him, right? So it makes sense. And sometimes these references can seem odd to us, right? They're out of context. We don't maybe grasp them fully. But Jude was writing to a Jewish audience, Right? He was writing to an audience where this was familiar. These stories, these prophecies, were something that they grew up with. So it was very familiar. 
But what's unusual about this prophecy is that it's its source. It's coming from Enoch, right? Who is this Enoch guy? <laughs> we don't hear a ton about Enoch. So Enoch is found way back in the very beginning of the Bible, right? Jude is almost at the end, and Enoch's at the beginning. This is a crazy long time ago, right? He's, he's in Genesis 5, and it tells us that Enoch was the father of Methuselah and then other sons and daughters that apparently didn't matter as much, that he walked with God. Genesis 5.23 says, Enoch, Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God, then one day he disappeared because God took him. The message version says, Enoch walked steadily with God, and then one day he was simply gone. God took him. So Enoch was taken into God's presence without having to experience death. That just sounds weird, right? But he's also mentioned in Hebrews 11.5. It says, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. So there's a whole lot here that we could explore and talk about, right? Um, and the Bible geek in me really wants to dig in here and talk about like the end times and the rapture and the tribulation and all that really great stuff, all the symbolism and things like that. But experience has taught me that I'm one of a few people who actually want to talk about that stuff. So <laughs> given that Pastor Stephen only gave me three hours today, we're <laughs> going to move on <laughs> and actually um, talk about some things that we can apply to our lives today. So we'll get back to our verses. Um, It says, So Enoch said, Listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones. Verse 15, To execute judgment on the people of the world, he will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that godly sinners have spoken against him. So he's saying, Church, you've been sleeping, right? Where have you been? You're not paying attention at all. You've let these false teachers come in and they're leading people astray. They're, they're getting them off track, right? These false teachers are saying things like, we're free in Jesus. We can do whatever we want. Everything is allowable, right? They distort God's grace. They used the sacrifices of Jesus as an excuse to live for themselves and to just live however they wanted to. And I just want to pause here for a moment to remind us all that our freedom and our salvation, our lives were bought with a price. And it was a mighty expensive price. Jesus had to pay with torture and death for things that I have done and things that I've yet to even do that were wrong, right? So that I could be free, so that I could know him, so that I could spend time and eternity with him. And yes, of course, I can be forgiven over and over and over again because that's not permission for us to just purposefully go against his will, for us to purposely go against his wishes. Our lives were bought at an expensive price. But these false teachers, they're saying, what the heck, right? Just go at it. Do whatever pleases you. All is forgiven. It's all covered. Why would you worry about your behavior when everything's been taken care of? And this shouldn't have been a surprise to the church then, 
right, or to us now, there were many warnings that were given about false teachers. Second Peter 2 um, speaks of dangers of false teachers. First John in chapter 4 talks about how to recognize false prophets. Second Timothy 3 is where Paul, um, he warns the church against all kinds of people who will act religious, but they will say they will reject the power that makes them godly, right? He warns them, stay away from those people. They're faking it. <laughs> you don't want to hang out with those people. Jesus even said himself in Matthew 7, uh, starting at verse 15, he said, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, and that is by the way they act. So Jude shouldn't have had to spend a ton of time right, telling them about this because they knew the writings on the wall. The false teachers are there and they have to be dealt with. In verse 16, it says, These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. Lionel, that's none of us, right? None of us do any of that. So I just want to maybe spend some time talking about these different things so that we can be good friends to other people and point it out in their lives, right? (laughs) That's all right with you guys. We'll... We'll look at this a little bit closer. I see I don't know, about five categories here that he's talking about, right? Number one is the grumblers. And I know we don't have any grumblers among us, but some aversions call these the mumblers. They mutter complaints, right? This isn't necessarily loud, outspoken, super obnoxious, but it's dissatisfaction, right? It's muttering against God as an undertone. Have you ever met someone who mutters when they complains? When they complain, it's sort of like under their breath comments, right? Their complaints, they act like they, they're talking to themselves, but they're saying it out loud, so clearly they want somebody to hear. This is a person who maybe in church they're grumbling about the way things are done, right? Maybe their former pastor would have done things differently, would have never said that. Or maybe they would have asked them to do something different. And they can't help but grumble because they're really unhappy with the worship music, right? Nobody here. I know, it's nobody here. But some people do this. They're complaining because it's too fast, it's too slow, it's too loud, it's not enough clapping, it's not enough hymns, it's not enough hillsong, it's, we never sing oceans anymore. <laughs> right? They can't help it. They know how missions should really be taken care of, right? Again, nobody in here. I know it's nobody here. But they know how missions should be taken care of. We don't give enough or we give too much. Maybe we have too many people that come through here asking for money on a regular basis. Or we don't know what's going on overseas because you never have people here. We have problems right here in our backyard. Why are we sending money overseas? Or why are we supporting local ministries? Wouldn't it be better to just be the church? Right? Those are the grumblers. The other group is the complainers. Similar people, right? They're complaining about their lot in life. They're discontent. They're not satisfied at all. They blame God for everything that has ever happened to them. 
I think we probably all know somebody, again, not in this room, who is dissatisfied, unhappy, generally upset with their lives, right? This person is miserable in the summer because it's hot and humid, and then winter comes and it's frigid and freezing and icy and all this snow, and they're living here in Wisconsin, and that's proof that God is angry with them, right? (laughs) Because if there was a God, he certainly would not make them live like this, right? And then we have the third category, those who are living only to satisfy their desires, the people who are grabbing for the biggest piece of the pie, right? They say things like, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You got to do what you can to make your life better, right? Everyone for themselves. Their desires could be good. Maybe they're bad, but they could be good, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad or immoral wish. Um, It could be anything that leaves God out. And we can leave God out of things like boating. We can leave God out of our music, our writing, our art. And we can leave God out of church if we're not careful, right? We need to invite him in, make sure we're listening and, and ready and praying. But this leaves them wanting more. It leaves them empty. It leaves them discontent. And it leaves them reaching for more and more of what isn't even satisfying. Category four is they brag loudly about themselves. Some versions say they're loudmouth boasters. I kind of like that better. <laughs> loudmouth boasters. So social media makes this a lot easier, right, than just like everyday life. It's a little bit tougher to in-person just be like, hey, I am the best. Just want to let you know. But social media just makes that easy. It's natural for us to just put all of our best highlights out on social media and, and tell everybody how great we are. These people try sometimes to use words that other people don't understand. They want to let you know how much education they have, right? And, and they might even have just an extraordinarily amount of education and how to build this stage. And they're going to use really big words on how to build it, right? Instead of just saying, put the wood down and use a hammer, right? (laughs) They'll have some kind of words. I don't know what construction words are, so I don't know what they are. But, you know, it's a bad example, I guess. (laughs) But these people are are immodest and they're arrogant, right? They're quick to point out their accomplishments, They want to tell people how much they excel at their good things. Maybe they say something like, oh, I see you're really struggling with that. I'm sorry to hear that. That is just something that comes natural to me. Awesome. (laughs) When they speak, they can stir people, right? These people can tug on our emotions and cause people to go into action, right? They can gather a crowd sometimes, It makes me think of some politicians, not all, but some politicians. I'm sure you've listened to certain politicians being interviewed using all the buzzwords, right? They've got all the good buzzwords, but when they finish, they haven't actually said anything. They haven't committed to anything. You don't know what they believe, where they stand, what their plans are, how they they plan to do anything. They've committed to nothing. They've just been talking And finally, we have those who flatter others to get what they want. They want others to think well of them, 
right? So they want, they want others to think well of them so that they can have an advantage. So it gives them an edge over somebody else. They're great at applauding others. They're great at telling people how great they are, how wonderful they are, how, how, how they're good at that thing. And then don't forget, I need you to help me with this thing over here. Right? They're looking to these people for promotion. They want the advantage. And James talks about this. James uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 says, Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention to a good seat and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgment or guide, judgments are guided by evil motives? I mean, do we go into work and make sure to greet our boss with this big smile and hello every morning, but just give a quick nod to our coworkers? And then when the maintenance person comes by, we just kind of turn and ignore them. Are you nicer to people when you find out that they have Facebook friends that you want to get to know, right? They have influential Facebook friends, so you get, to, you get cozier with that person. You start inviting that person to your events, to your house, to dinner, to coffee, to whatever. Guys, as believers, we should not be flattering people to get what we want. We shouldn't be looking to people to gain promotion, right? We shouldn't use those methods. It's dishonest, for one thing. And it's, quite honestly, it's the method of a traitor. These people don't look to God. They are concerned more about how people can get them somewhere. They're not concerned about hearing from Jesus at the end of their lives, well done, my good and faithful servant. They're just focused on advancement but getting the applause. These are the Pharisees. They're standing on a street corner and they're offering prayers, right? And they've got ashes all over their heads so that people know that they're fasting, right? Why do they do that? They're trying to impress the people that are walking by. They're trying to point out so that everybody knows how holy they are. This is the person that's saying, I'll pray for you, but has no intention of actually praying. They're posting scripture verses with comments like, how can you not believe this? They're forgetting that we know him by the Holy Spirit. We understand truth because he made a way for us to do that by his grace. It's not us being holy, right? We did nothing. He did it all. So let's remember this. Jude is writing to all who have been called by God the Father, to those who love the Father, the church people. So if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, this letter is to you. The church wasn't being diligent about keeping false teachers out, right? Now we don't we don't need to keep people who haven't figured out Jesus following out of church, right? That's not what we're talking about here. 
we don't have to keep them out of church, but we're not going to put somebody brand new into a leadership position and let them make up their own rules and lead people astray, right? We want to make sure people have an understanding before they're put into a leadership role. But they were just letting people who were not standing up for the truth. They were not standing up for the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And they were leading people in this wrong direction. Instead of using grace to point to, to Jesus and all that he has done, they were using grace as an excuse to do whatever they wanted. It's all covered. I'm forgiven. I can do what I want. What they're really doing is rejecting the authority of God. And they're saying, I will determine what's right and wrong. I decide for me what's good. I find my own truth. And that's false teaching, right? That's, that's the real fake news, you guys. It's a rejection of the authority of Jesus. And it's basically what sin is, isn't it? When we sin, when we act against what's laid out in the Bible for us to do, we're rejecting God's authority, and we're putting our authority in its place. We're deciding to go with our authority. It's a, it's a self-assessment where we, we set ourselves over God and say, I will be the judge. I want to express myself in this way. We make ourselves gods. And we rebel against God. The unchurched, the curious, the new believer, the person who spent 40 or more years sitting in church, we all rebel against God. We all sin in rebellion against God. We all make it our practice to violate his commands. If that was not true, Jude wouldn't have taken the time to write this letter. Why would Jude have to remind people to hold fast, to contend with their faith, to stand firm? If we were not prone to these kinds of sins, there would be no need for him to write this letter. But he has. He's warned us, right? He warned them and he's warning us. So what are you going to do with that warning? What's my challenge to you this week? To set some side set aside some time, take a notebook, maybe a giant cup of coffee, and, and go over these verses in Jude again. Read them over. Consider each category, right? Maybe make little sections for each category if you're all crazy like me. You want to make them even, right? <laughs> maybe you want to do it in Excel so that you know. Ahead of time, you have the same amount of space. <laughs> but use, use some time and go through those sections. And ask God to show you where you have been in rebellion against him. Because he'll show you. Ask him to show you where you've put your desires before his. Where you've put your pleasures over his wants and his plan for your life. Take the time to recognize your need for repentance, your need to stop and to turn away from what you're doing, from those certain behaviors, and lean in to your Savior. Lean into Jesus. May we all be able to pray as Paul did in 1 Timothy, where he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of all. 
But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and have eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen.